Lord, we give you thanks this morning as we celebrate this communion, as we remember your sacrifice, and as we reflect upon the first sacrifice you made as you came in the flesh. You allowed yourself to become like us so that we might have the pleasure of knowing you, loving you, following after you, serving you, We thank you, Lord, for the great gift you have given. Thank you for a time to think about it at Christmas and to sing about it. Thank you for the privilege of the life you lived as we observe it in the Bible and as we are reminded of how you taught us to love each other and to love other people, to love God first. We just thank you over and over again. What a wonderful life we have been given because of you. Help us to not keep that to ourselves, but to share it with others as we share in this offering together this morning. May our minds and hearts be yours completely. May we glorify your name always. For we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Peter Larson wrote, Despite all our efforts to keep him out, God intrudes. The life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities, a virgin's womb and an empty tomb. Jesus entered our world through a door marked no entrance and left through a door marked no exit. The Lord's table, which we just celebrated, is a remembrance of that door marked no exit. It's a reminder not only of his death, but also his resurrection. In remembering, we are proclaiming that the impossible, death and the tomb couldn't hold him. And now we take a few moments to turn our attention to that door marked no entrance. Our celebration of Christmas is a remembrance of the door marked no entrance because the birth of our Savior in a virgin's womb is just as impossible as an empty tomb. And despite all our best efforts to keep him out, God still intrudes. You know, if you take away all the cultural trappings of Christmas, the stories of Santa Claus and reindeer, snowmen and elves and Grinches and trees and decorations and presents and all the rest, if you get down to just the basic story of the birth of Jesus as found in Scripture, every image we have virtually comes from either the Gospel of Matthew or the Gospel of Luke. The Christmas carols we sing and listen to get their inspiration from Matthew or Luke. If you have pictures on a cover of your Christmas cards that you send or receive, it's going to depict a scene from Matthew or Luke. Every Christmas display you see will reflect one or more of the stories of his birth taken from Matthew or Luke. And when you decorate your trees and your homes, the images you use will be from Matthew or Luke. Only Matthew has the story of the angel's appearance to Joseph with the declaration, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Matthew has the star in the east and the magi and Herod and the murder of the innocents. And in Luke, you find the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah to tell him of the birth of John to be the forerunner of the cross and the appearance 
to Mary to inform her that she, though still a virgin, would be with child and give him birth to a son who would become our Savior. Luke has the song of praise of Mary known as the Magnificat. Zechariah's song of praise known as the Benedictus. Caesar Augustus's decree and Jesus' birth in a manger because there's no room for him in the inn. Luke also has the story of the shepherds and Jesus presented in the temple where both Simeon and Anna bear witness to this newborn king. But what about Mark and John, the other two Gospels? Well, Mark, Mark doesn't even mention his birth. But that's understandable because his account of Jesus' life picks up 30 years later with the beginning of Jesus' ministry and the coming of John to prepare the way, which leaves the Gospel of John. And John does mention his birth, but there's no star or angels, there's no shepherd or magi, no census or stable, none of the imagery we associate so often with Christmas. The Christmas story in John is very brief, only a single verse, really half a verse, yet when you look at it, it is one of the most incredible statements ever made. John 1.14 says simply, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And then to offer a little bit of commentary as John continues, he said, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's Christmas story is really only ten words in the English, eight in the Greek. Yet it permeates everything that Matthew and Luke wrote. The angels and the star, the magi and the manger and the shepherds, everything testifies to God entering the world through the womb of a virgin. Now, if you go back a few verses in John, he had already said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And then he says, the Word became flesh. And he made his home among us. The word is not just with God, like an angel or some other created being. The word is not just another expression or idea about God, because there's certainly no shortage of these. The word was not another book or seminar seeking to explain him. The world is filled with people's speculations and theories. The word was not even an attempt by some poet or songwriter to stir our emotions and capture our imagination. The word, he said, is God himself. And it is God who didn't merely come for a visit, but the word became flesh, became one of us to live among us. And so in celebrating the birth of Christ, we proclaim that in the manger in Bethlehem, God comes near. The word we use to describe it is incarnation. He didn't just appear to be a man. He came in the flesh. He became one of us, or as Paul would later write to the Philippians, in his birth, he took our very nature or essence, or as we sang a moment ago, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. 
In a poem written 16 centuries ago by St. Augustine, he tries to capture the wonder and the mystery of the Incarnation in that first Christmas when he wrote, Maker of the Son, He is made under the Son. In the Father, He remains. From His Mother, He goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, He was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. He is Emmanuel, God with us. The word become flesh to make his home among us. And it's such a nice story we celebrate every year at this time. Christmas brings our families together. It gives us reasons to have parties at work, special gatherings with friends. Through gifts, we have the opportunity to express our love and appreciation for others and maybe even do something to help those who may be less fortunate. Yet when it was first proclaimed, the Romans scoffed. They laughed at a notion that a God would demean himself by taking on human flesh and living among us. Now, the gods might come for a visit, like Jupiter having a fling with some mortal woman, and then would quickly disappear and go back home to Mount Olympus. But the idea that they would actually come and stay, that they might choose to empty themselves and strip off their glory and their power, would preposterous. But even more ludicrous was the idea that he would come as helpless as a baby in his birthday suit. And then to add insult to injury, rather than an imperial throne room and palatial surroundings, he would be born to poor teenagers in the dirt and the smell of a borrowed stable. The circumstances of our Savior's birth were unimaginable. After all these centuries, sometimes they still are, aren't they? We try to hide the incarnation sometimes by dressing up the swaddling clothes and the manger in our holiday best, covering it in ribbon and tinsel and wrapping paper. In an article entitled Gift Wrapping God, Mary Allen Ashcroft warned that if we're not careful, in all our Christmas celebrations, we may be trying to hide the nakedness of the incarnation. We wreath our doors with juniper and holly, deck our shrubs with tiny white lights and our living rooms with spruce trees and candles and nativity scenes. We dress ourselves up for Christmas, yet all this decking is ironic when we consider that the Christmas movement of God is away from glitter and glory. To get ready for Christmas, God undressed. He stripped off his finery and appeared, how embarrassing, naked on the day he was born. God rips off medals of rank, puts aside titles, honors, and talents, and appears in his birthday suit. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. In the virgin's womb that we remember, God did the unthinkable, the unimaginable, the incomprehensible, emptying himself, setting aside his glory, as the word becomes flesh and becomes one of us. And the incarnation shows that the word is not just noise. It's not just sounds coming out of the mouth of God. It was concrete and tangible, made real through action when he stepped down to meet us. The incarnation means even 33 years later, the word becomes flesh as when, even when it meant stepping up and spreading out his hands on a cross. 
to save us. In the 11th century, an abbot named Garrick of Igni wrote, Do you want to see the humility of God? Look in the manger and see him lying there. Surely this is our God. Seeing an infant, I wonder how this could be the one who says, Do I not fill the heavens and the earth? I see a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. Is this the one who is clothed in the beautiful glory of the unapproachable light? Listen, he is crying. Is this the one who thunders in the heavens, making the angels lower their wings? Yes, but he has emptied himself in order to fill us. The word became flesh and lived among us. And as Jesus lived among us, the word was fleshed out through his life and his ministry. It wasn't just words Jesus spoke. It was actions that he lived. He backed up his words as he fleshed it out through his behavior. The one who said, love your neighbor, was the same one whose neighbors tried to kill him. He fleshed it out. The one who said, to follow him, you have to be willing to walk away, to leave everything behind, is the same one who left his own home and family to walk the streets and countryside of Palestine. The one who said we must be willing to deny ourselves is the same one who on the night he was betrayed prayed, not my will, but yours be done. The one who said, forgive those who sin against you is the same one who, as he hung from the cross, begged his father to forgive us for we don't know what we're doing. And the one who promised he would be with us always are the words of a God who in an instant did the impossible to make all things possible by becoming one of us, the flesh of God in Christ. You know, prophets proclaimed the word of the Lord. Apostles taught the word of God. Psalmists sang the word of God. But words can often be ignored. And if in Jesus he used only words, he too could be ignored and forgotten, overcome by the world and its cares. But he was more than that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's why John could say in verse 5, that light shines in the darkness. And when the word is fleshed out, the darkness couldn't overcome it. The word become flesh. Talk show host Larry King several years ago, and he's made a living interviewing celebrities, often asking tough questions. He was once asked, if you could select any one person throughout all of history to interview, who would it be? And King said he would like to interview Jesus Christ. The questioner followed that with, and what would you like to ask him? And King replied, I would like to ask him if he indeed was born of a virgin. And the answer to that question would define all of history for me. Later, when apologist Rabbi Zacharias asked him if he could quote him on this, King responded, yes, and tell people that I wasn't being facetious. The word become flesh defines all of history. He dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word become flesh. What about our words? What about our faith? Doesn't it need to be more than words also? Sounds coming from our mouth? More than sermons, more than songs, more than books, more than Bible study. The word still needs to be fleshed out in a world that is dark. 
It's like love. People talk about it. They write poems and songs about it. They make movies about it. But if it's just words, what good is it? For it to be real, it has to be fleshed out. We can use a lot of words sometimes in church, but they too need to be fleshed out. We can talk about the need to share our faith, to evangelize and tell people about Jesus. But is it only our words, something we talk about or something we do? We sing this time of year, go tell it on the mountains. Is it just a song? When was the last time we did it and told someone? When was the last time the word became flesh? When we stepped out and did it. We talk about discipleships and the importance of growing in our faith. Is it just talking about him? What are we actually doing to grow into his likeness, becoming more like Jesus, to put flesh on our faith? We talk about love and compassion. How are we fleshing it out in the world around us? In Christ, we're forgiven. But are we fleshing out forgiveness? As he said, forgive others as I have forgiven you. The world still needs people to incarnate the word. It still must become flesh. Without incarnation, it's just noise coming from our mouths. Sounds. Without putting flesh on what we believe, it can easily be overcome or swept under the rug and ignored. But when the word does become flesh, when it becomes tangible and concrete, then the light will shine in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. Again, in her article, Ashkoff wrote, As evangelicals, we have focused on the saving death of Christ, but thrown out the incarnation in our Christmas wrappings. She wrote, As we cover God in our Christmas wrappings, We hide what is most distinctive about Christianity, and this is a tragedy. What many don't know about Christianity is that God has chosen to identify with their pain, their humanness, their flesh. This is what we have lost as we have exchanged the feast of the incarnation for Christmas. As we have dressed God in his Christmas best, we have covered the jewel of the Christian faith, God's choice of flesh, of identification with humanity and therefore our pain. But because the word became flesh and lived among us as one of us, the message is he understands us. He understands what we go through. He understands our disappointments and our hurts and our pain. He understands because God is still with us. Never will I leave you, Jesus said. And in the end, by becoming one of us, He didn't put an end to our pain and suffering. But through the incarnation, he enters into it. He walks with us. He takes it upon himself when he went to the Calvary. And no matter how dark the night may seem, the light still shines in the darkness and never will be overcome by it. But that too can all be words. Something to think about as we close. Words from Martin Luther over 500 years ago. You don't really believe that the virgin mother gave birth to a son and that he is Lord and Savior unless you also believe he is my Lord and Savior. Because it's only when we believe it that it becomes real. Do you believe? Our Father, as we... Remember you.
and celebrate that point in time when the Word became flesh to live among us, to show himself to us, and ultimately to die for us. We thank you that he continues to walk with us always because we acknowledge that truly he did enter the world through a door which normally would seem impossible, no entrance. And when he was resurrected, he left through that world that said no exit because he conquered death itself. We thank you, Father, for his glory and his grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we do thank you for that great and precious gift that you gave us in your Son, whose birth we celebrate this time of year, but may we celebrate it throughout the year. We thank you, God, for that gift that you have given that continues to give life. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Draw near to him, he is here with us. Give him your love, he's in love with us. He will heal our hearts, he will cleanse our hands. If we lend our hearts, he will heal our land.